because the season's over. Let's face it, I said it the other day, after that debacle there, I, even before the game on Thursday, I said the season's over. The Mets right now are, it's the city of Walking Dead. Whenever I said the Mets season is over is pretty much when I say the city of Walking Dead, coined by my former partner, J.D. Mets season is certainly out to sea. I understand they're what? Six and a half games back from the wild card. You can forget about the division because Atlanta is just going to be off and running. So if you have any hopes, dreams, aspirations of a wild card, I know I'm not the most jaded and cynical Met fan, but guess what? Most of us are. And uh, at the same time, I'm a realist. And I have, there's no inclination, unless this bullpen drastically gets better overnight, there's no way that this Met team is even going to be in the mix for a wild card. And that's all there is to it. Michael people, greetings. How are you? How are you feeling? Hope everybody's doing well as we get to close out this week as I bring you a very special mid to late week podcast here on the latest edition of the J Reels podcast. This is your host, J Reels. This is your first time tuning in. I welcome you guys aboard. And for those who've been with me on this journey, I welcome you guys back. It's a Thursday evening, August the 8th in the year of our Lord, 2019. And as you heard from the very top, those are words that I uttered a little over five weeks ago, July 1st to be exact to discuss pretty much the ending of the New York Mets baseball season for 2019. And here we are on the eve, or whenever you get to listen to this, probably in the morning, it'll be the day of, but as I'm recording this, on the eve of the rebirth of the baseball season, meaning that 115 games are down where the Mets are 59-56 and 47 more games to go. Tomorrow night, City Field, 7-10 p.m., where Marcus Stroman will tow the rubber for the first time as a New York Met pitcher at City Field, the building should be rocking, the atmosphere will be electric, and it'll almost be as if the playoffs will start today because the Mets have made the climb almost to the mountaintop of the NL wildcard, which currently right now, at this very second, the Washington Nationals hold the top spot in the National League wildcard race. And on July 1st, they were dead and buried. Who would have thought that they would have made this trek and this climb to where they are. And the reason why I did this podcast, as you saw the heading, Am I Sucked In? The Life and Times of Being a Met Fan. I did this podcast for two reasons. One, to kind of recap this week, and not only that, but just the ascent of this ball club ever since they were 11 games under. I think about this. July 1st, when I was on the air, they had just played one of the worst week or the worst stretches that they had in a week dating back to the previous Sunday at Wrigley Field when Seth Lugo gave up the three-run homer to Javi Baez. They could have gone for the back three games of that four-game set. Instead, they lose that Sunday game. And we know what happened after the game with Mickey Calloway and the reporter from Newsday and then Jason Vargas and the confrontation with that said reporter as they had to trek to Philadelphia for four games And in those four games, as they got swept out of the city of brotherly love, they had a lead in each one of those games after five innings. The last game being the most brutal, with a 3-1 lead in the ninth inning, especially from the heroics of Todd Frazier at the two-run homer. And you're thinking that Edwin Diaz, as awful as he's been pretty much since Memorial Day, you were hoping, praying that they could salvage that game as they come home to play the Atlanta Braves. Well, as we all know what happened, He ends up giving a two-run homer and then following that up with a three-run game-winning homer by Eugene Segura. 
And the Mets stumble home, losers of five in a row, four of the most brutal losses, really five of the most brutal losses you could ever have. And then they play the Atlanta Braves, which they lose a Friday night game, and then they lose a Saturday night game before being down 5-3 in the eighth inning and having to score five runs in the bottom of the eighth to secure a, or I should say secure an 8-5 victory. And then the Mets, at that point, I looked at it at 38-47, and there was no way, fuss or foul, that this was going to be any type of season where they were going to salvage and there was going to be any hope. And then just think about this. After the All-Star break, they go to play the Miami Marlins, the Friday night game. What happened then? Vargas pitched that game. They get bombed. They're 11 games under 500 at 40 and 51. And remember, people, they were embarking at that time on a nine-game road trip to start off where they had to play the back two against Miami, two in Minnesota, and then four in San Francisco. And we all know what happened on that trip. They won the next two in Miami. They won two surprising games in Minnesota, especially that last one, where even though Minnesota pretty much handed the game to them, but Dom Smith's heroics, and then he had a drop ball in left field by Eddie Rosario, and then the icing on the cake was the Alonzo bomb. And then after that, they go to San Francisco, in which they could have won all four games. They only win the Saturday game where they hit four home runs. But they lose brutal games and extra innings on Thursday, Friday, and then culminating with the game on Sunday where Carl Yastrzemski's grandkid ended up hitting the game-winning home run. And then you come back to New York, and I even said it then. I said there's going to be nothing to play out the string. It is a season that was, I thought, lost at the end of June. There was no way, shape, or form, even when you looked at the schedule, when they had the Padres coming in, the Pirates, then they go to Chicago to play the White Sox, the Pirates again, and then the Marlins. And you could look at that schedule and say, okay, well, maybe they could somehow, some way, inch a little closer, maybe be somehow, some way, four or five games back going into the Washington series. Because as I've said time and time again, if you listen to this podcast, the Mets, for whatever the reason, cannot string together any type of consistent winning streak or any type of stretch where, let's say, over 20 games, they're going to go 14-6 and six or 15-5. and five. Well, not only have the Mets, ever since that loss in Miami, that Friday night, right after the break, since that game, not only have they had two winning streaks of six and seven games, where currently they've won 13 out of the last 14, but since that Friday night game, as I mentioned, they are 19-5. and five, And they put themselves in an excellent position to overtake... The Nationals, and again, they still have to worry about the Cardinals and then the Phillies this coming weekend. Because remember, they still have some teams they need to hurdle, despite the fact they're only one game behind in the wild card race. Now, Philly is in San Francisco and they play tonight, so they could actually inch a half game closer. So we got to root for the Giants. But now here it is after two and a half weeks, and me being on the podcast to say, all that's left for the regular season for the Mets is hopefully Pete Alonso stays healthy so he can possibly hit 50 home runs and become Rookie of the Year. Jeff McNeil will continue to be consistent and hopefully win a batting title. And forget about the Cy Young race because even though Jacob DeGrom and his heroics of what he did last year from an individual standpoint, he's not going to be able to match that again. So you don't think there's going to be any chance that you could get some sort of postseason trifecta. Uh, obviously not going to get the MVP, but just in a sense of having a... Rookie of the Year, a batting title, and also a Cy Young the same year. And that was it. That's all you had to look forward to. 
But now the second reason why I'm doing this podcast is because not only did I want to recap and have to eat my words because the Mets are in this race. I said after last week when they beat the Pirates at home, I believe at that time they may have been four games on the 500. And I said to myself, they got to get to be one over. Because getting to 500 was a chore in itself considering that there were 11 games under on July the 12th. So how this team was going to make up all this ground, I mean, please, I don't think there was any Met fan on this planet that thought after that Friday night game that the Mets were going to make some sort of run to get themselves, forget about even closer to 500, but three games over and then a half game behind the wild card mix. You could be the most optimistic Pie in the sky, sunshine, roses, etc. There was no way because the Mets have not shown all year that they could put together a winning streak. Or even a block of games where you could say, can they win 7 out of 10? Can we just start there? Can they just win series? Because I did mention that. If the Mets can win series, that's all. That's perfect. Yes, it would have been nice to get 7 in a row and 6 in a row as they've done over the last 2 weeks. Absolutely. But if you win 2 out of 3 and 3 out of 4s and sweep 2 game series, that's just as good. Because as much as you want to swing for the fences and try to get home runs like they've gotten on this recent streak, and I'm talking about that from a metaphorical sense, because when you look at this 13 out of 14, this is like having three grand slams in one game. But the singles and doubles were just to get the two out of threes. If you can get those and hopefully the other teams will start to come back to the pack, then maybe as you get into September, who knows? But you didn't see any signs. There was no sign of that whatsoever. And then for whatever the reason, even though the way the schedule broke, They played the dregs of the National League as well as the American League, just the White Sox. Can't say the Twins are. And here they are. Right now, on the eve of this series against the hated Nationals. And I get it's a different dynamic because Bryce Harper isn't there, but thankfully he's up the road from D.C., up the corridor in Philadelphia. And we're going to get to see him plenty over the course of the next month. But the Mets right now And you have to be excited. But I understand that the question is to me. Because earlier this week, and even last week, I said that although I am always a Dino Wolf fan, listen, I've loved this team since four years old. And baseball is my first love, and this team is my first love. More so than the Steelers, more so than the Celtics, more so than the Islanders, Georgetown Hoyas. The Mets are my first love. But here's the thing about this team. As great as this run's been, and having this day off, I think, helps them a little bit because they can kind of get the wind under the sails and then go right at it tomorrow. Even though with baseball, it's continuity. You kind of want to play that next day. And think about it. The game against the Marlins yesterday in which they won 7-2, it was over about 240. So now they're not going to hit the field until 7-10 tomorrow. So there's been a 53-hour stretch that they haven't played baseball until Marcus Stroman throws that first pitch around 7.11, 7.12 p.m. tomorrow night. And as great as this streak is, and I'm certainly not going to throw cold water on what they've done, it's been exciting. It's been otherworldly. I mean, you can never imagine in a million years that the Mets would have done this. But here's the two things that I wonder, or really three things, that I wonder about this team moving forward. And this is where I'm going to lead to this question of am I sucked in? Number one is the schedule. 
And I'm sure if you're a Met fan, you've seen the schedule. I could tell you the schedule from here to the end of the year. And I'll break it down for you. We know about the Nationals this weekend. They go on the road to Atlanta starting Tuesday night after day off Monday. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Then they go to Kansas City next weekend. They come home and they have a ton of home games. In fact, they have a ton of home games pretty much from now to the end of the year. And as crazy as this to even think that after this homestand, they only have three more road trips the rest of the year. And they're all quick road trips. Six gamers. So the Mets then come home after a week on the road to Atlanta, Kansas City. They'll play the Cleveland Indians for three who are in their own race in the AL Central with the Twins. They play the Braves at home over the weekend. No easy task. Follow that up by the Cubs for three. Not going to be easy. They're in a fight for themselves in that NL Central. And then the Mets go on the road to Philadelphia, to Washington over the Labor Day early part of the week. Then the Mets come home to a 10-game homestand. So you're thinking, all right, 10 games at home, great. Three against the Phillies, which coincides with the opening weekend of the NFL. Four against Arizona, which right now, although they're behind the Mets in the wild card, but they, who knows if they're going to be in it. But as of today, they are still one of the teams that are going to be fighting for a wild card spot. And after those four games against Arizona, the Dodgers come in for three games. After that, they're going to road to Colorado and Cincinnati. So hopefully Colorado right now, they're certainly starting to play out the string. I don't know if they have any hope to get back in this wild card mix. And then the Reds are the Reds. And then they come home to play four against Miami and then three against Atlanta to close out the year. Now, before you get crazy and think about the division, stop right there. You're eight and a half back. You've made it all the way back to this point. So just be happy you're here. There's no need to get greedy to think that, oh, well, we still have nine games against the Braves. So if somehow, some way, we can win seven or eight of them, all right, you're four and six against them this year. I don't think you're going to come anywhere close to running the table the rest of the year. So even if you go six and three, you've only made up three games with five more to play, or five more to catch up. And that's not going to be easy over the course of the last seven weeks of this year, unless the Braves just all of a sudden fall off a cliff. So the schedule's not in your favor. And then not only that, but the opponents, especially in your division. Now the Braves, like I said, you're four and six against. The Phillies, you're four and nine against. And the Nationals, as of right now, I believe you're eight and four against. I'll make that eight and five. My apologies. So looks good against the Nats. Now, mind you, you swept the Nats earlier this year. The Mets did those four games at City Field, I believe that was right before Memorial Day. Because remember, the, the Tigers came in, they won two out of three. That was the one stretch that the Mets were actually fortunate because they had won six of seven that week, if you recall. But the thing is, that national bullpen was just as bad as the Mets. And they spit it up late in those games, if you recall, back in late May. And since the trade deadline, now granted they didn't bring in Raleigh Fingers, Goose Gotches, or Mariano Rivera, but they certainly strengthened their bullpen to the tune of Daniel Hudson, Roenus Elias, and Hunter Strickland. What does that mean for them moving forward? Who cares? That's the Nationals deal. The Mets have their own bullpen to deal with. So first and foremost, the schedule is one thing. And again, you got to throw in the Dodgers. Mets can't beat the Dodgers. Ever since they won in the division series back in 2015, they have just had nightmares against that team. And as we know, the Dodgers are arguably the best team in baseball. 
And just with everything that's going to transpire here, this schedule, 47 games, it's going to be tricky. And right there, front and center tomorrow night, the Nationals come in. Brody, I, I know he's got to stay low. Remember, you know, come get us. And then he said, well, they came and got us. Well, I hope the bravado doesn't come back. He should just lay low, let it see how it plays out. The last thing he needs to do is just puff his chest out and make this into a WWE. The second thing is, and this is going to scare a lot of the Met fans because right now everything is rosy. Everything's coming up green and lovely hills and the view from the close to the top is as beautiful as it, as it is. But you wonder when the manager is going to make a boneheaded move. I hope it doesn't happen. I'm not trying to say he's going to be perfect from here on out because you know he's not. But let's just hope that he does not put his team in a position where the obvious move or the obvious decision somehow, some way goes over his head, costs them a game or even a series, and then they go into a tailspin. Because at the end of the day, and I'm going to get to the, really the determining factor for the Met fan and how they feel about this team and about their team over the years. Before I get to answer that big question, am I sucked in? So the manager is one gigantic factor in all this. And we hope that the warts do not come out in droves. We understand there's going to be moments of second guessing. There's going to be plenty of moments of even first guessing. But let's just hope that they're few and far between. And then the third thing is the bullpen, but in particular, Edwin Diaz. Diaz has been a disaster since Memorial Day. We don't need to go through the back of his baseball card since then. It was almost as if that first month he carried everything over from Seattle to New York. And then from there, he became a hybrid of Mel Rojas, Armando Benitez, Frankie Rodriguez. uh, And can I continue? He needs to somehow, some way, get his head on straight, realize that his team is now in a pennant race. And he knows that. It's not as if it's, you know, nobody's... Sneaking this up on him by any stretch. But he has to know and just take a deep breath that he just has to trust his stuff, his fastball, his slider, because that's all he has to two pitches. And that he could just either get him over for strikes or just blow people away with that fastball. If he does that, if he has that bulldog mentality, he'll be fine. Because the one thing, despite the fact of his ineptitude over the last two months, he hasn't shown or has that Hasn't had that meltdown moment. And what I mean by that, the body language, the attitude. I mean, think about this. That game in Philadelphia, that afternoon game where he gave up the five runs and the two home runs, that was it. That was his low point in the season. And he hasn't been any good since. Yes, has he gotten safe since then? Of course, but I tell you, it's literally a tightrope on a piece of dental floss between two gigantic skyscrapers in New York City. And somehow, some way, he's going to have to forget about that. As I said in the podcast on Monday, he has to develop that cornerback, that NFL cornerback mentality that if he gets torched by a Randy Moss or a Jerry Rice for seven catches, 116 yards, and two touchdowns, and that was only in the first three quarters, well, guess what? There's a fourth quarter to be played. And how he responds in that fourth quarter is just as important than what has transpired in the first three quarters. And that's pretty much the mentality that Edwin Diaz has to have here. Now, give credit to Phil Regan. He's done a just a remarkable job with his staff. The starting staff has pitched to an ERA under two, or close to two, I should say. 
is in fact the team ERA has been about two and a half runs a game since the All-Star break or actually since Regan had become anointed the Mets pitching coach. Now, how much more is this going to continue? Who knows? Uh, They need contributions from everybody in that bullpen. And I'm not trying to say they got to be lights out. I'm not trying to say they have to be the Yankees and how stacked their bullpen is, but they just have to be consistent. Of course, they're going to give up games. They're going to give up runs. They're not going to be perfect. We know that. But they certainly can't go through the malaise of this first half where it just seemed that no lead was safe. You know, an 8-3 lead in the eighth inning, and here comes, you know, DeGrom goes seven innings, and then here comes the cavalcade of Bob Gazelman, Seth Lugo, Justin Wilson, Luis Avalon, and now Edwin Diaz. The other determining factor, too, I think, with this run is also the depth. Because with a lot of the guys that are on the shelf right now, and who knows when Jed Lowry's coming back, it would be nice to get a Jed Lowry sighting or anything. Is he on the back of a milk carton somewhere? I mean, geez. We hear baseball activities, but what does that mean? Did he just swing a bat in a cage? Is he jogging the first base? What is that? But the thing is, is that he needs, or we need to know what his status is because he would certainly be a welcome addition to this team considering that you have Luis Guillorme. And listen, no offense to these guys. I mean, they got to bring them up. You got to somehow, someway play them. You know, the Adani uh, Echeverria's of the world. Guys like that, which could fill in from time to time and actually may get a big hit. And Echeverria has actually gotten some big hits. But when he's going to play on a day-to-day basis, same for Guillorme, same for a lot of these guys, Juan Lagares, you're going to see, I hate to say this, but you're just going to want to boo them out of the lineup because they can't get a hit. And it's interesting to see is the Mets made a bullpen move today. They bring in Brad Brock, who was the former Cub reliever. He got released. He was 3-3 with a 6-1 ERA. I don't know how it's going to bode for the Mets. But again, maybe who knows? He'll come here. Obviously, the team is on a high right now. Maybe he'll catch the buzz at City Field tomorrow night. As I said earlier, it's going to be an electric atmosphere. Who knows? Maybe he could ride that and pitch effective here down the stretch. But there's a guy also that's out there that was recently released by the Giants and Joe Panic. He's a local guy. The Mets certainly need infield depth. We know Robinson Cano looks like he's going to be gone for the rest of the season with that torn hamstring. And the Mets somehow, some way, need to get these reinforcements in. And I understand Panic isn't going to be a difference maker. He's not a guy that's going to come in and light the world on fire. But we do know that he has postseason experience. He did win a ring with the Giants. In 2014, remember he was on that team in 2016 that they faced the Cubs in the DS. Remember they beat the Mets in the wildcard game. So he's a guy that I'm sure would relish the opportunity to come here, be close to home, be in a pennant race. Granted, he was in a pennant race in San Francisco, but now they're starting to fade off a little bit. So who knows? Maybe that will reinvigorate him if the Mets do happen to sign him. And to me, those are the things. The schedule, Callaway, the bullpen, in particular Diaz, and the depth. And this is what's going to lead to the final thing. Now, I know I mentioned three things, whatever, but this all adds up to the one big thing that just weighs over the Met fan's head for eons. And it's a five-letter word that everybody knows. It's a five-letter word that a lot of people don't have. And it's trust. If you look at every Met fan's eyes, 
and ask them this question. You could ask them, hey, are you sucked in? That's one thing. But if you ask them, do you trust this team? Do you trust this organization? Do you trust this front office? I'm sure the overwhelming majority is going to be no. And how could you not? I'm not going to go through the laundry list of players and opportunities and things of that nature that have happened over the years. And uh, forget it, the podcast will be five hours. But that's what it boils down to. Do you trust this team in a big spot? And remember, people could think back, oh, well, they were just in the playoffs three years ago, but a lot of those players aren't on this team anymore. The Curtis Grandersons, the Ioannis Cespedes, yeah, the pitching staff is pretty much intact when anchoring by Noah Syndergaard and Jacob deGrom. And Seth Lugo was part of that mix as well as Robert Gazelman. But a lot of these players, you know, Conforto was part of that mix. But you do have players on this team that haven't experienced that. And what's going to happen to this team if they go through a gut-wrenching killer loss? All right, let's say for argument's sake they win two out of three this weekend. Now they go to Atlanta, they lose the first game. And then the next night, they just lose the brutal game. Typical Met fashion. Whatever, they're up 4-2 in the ninth inning. Diaz spits it up, they lose 5-4. How's that team going to respond the following night? How's that team going to respond following a killer loss at Philly? To the Nats on the road. At home against the Dodgers. At home against the Phillies again. This is where we're going to see how this team responds. And those first 115 games, they're gone. It's all about these final 47. As a Met fan, I'm excited that this team has some meaningful games. I'm just going to go for this weekend because, God forbid, the Mets get swept here. Then have four out. And there'll be one game, or they'll be at 500, excuse me. And that's why I thought it was so important for the Mets to get to at least one game over 500 because it was such an uphill battle just to get to 500 that it's easy for them to say, ah, we made it. Now let's fall back. Well, the schedule broke in their favor. But there's not going to be many favors on the schedule anymore after this past week. These games are going to be tough. And I'm not going to sit here like an NFL schedule to think, all right, well, they should beat the Nationals this weekend. All right, they may lose two out of three to Atlanta, but they're going to sweep Kansas City or at least win two out of three. Again, it goes back to trust. This Met team, you can't trust. I don't care if they go into Kansas City winning two out of three in Atlanta as well as two out of three over the weekend. If you're going to automatically think that they're going to sweep or win two out of three, that's when the Mets stub their toe, play down to the opposition, and either they lose two out of three or get swept. And that's how baseball works sometimes. So, with all that being said, people, I'm going to ask the Met fan. And the good thing about this, it's not even just for the Met fan. Obviously, it's a Met podcast. I get it. But more importantly, this is for the baseball fan or for the diehard fan of a tortured fan base that understands and knows what it's like to get kicked in the gut, to have to deal with brutal loss after brutal loss after brutal loss. But of course, this question is for the Met fan. After this wonderful run, 19-6, and six, Alonzo, 37 homers, Jeff McNeil batting close to 340, the staff coming around, and everything that has happened since July the 12th. Are you sucked in? I have to answer, I am, but I don't trust this team. That's not being pessimistic. That's not being a Debbie Downer. That's just the reality. Because the Mets time 
after time, after time, after time, just when they suck you in, like they have pretty much the whole fan base, including me. But guess what? It's like the Mets are that beautiful girlfriend that just wants to go out and party. She wants to hang out. Yes, she looks beautiful. Yes, she wants to spend time with you. And when the time, it, when it's great, it's great. But there's always that one moment that you're going to get that text or that phone call and it's going to make you wonder, why did I let this happen again? And guess what? Despite the fact being sucked in, I still don't trust this team. Let's hope they prove me wrong as we start game one of 47 to the end of the season and hope and pray. LFGM to the Mets out there. It's all right for the taking. Let's get it. All right, everybody, that's going to conclude this special edition of the J-Rules podcast. I hope you enjoyed that. I'll be back on the air Monday, recapping the weekend. And real quick, here's my prediction. I could see Marcus Stroman tomorrow night. He's going to be probably so amped up. Something tells me he's not going to have a good start. I could see him probably laboring a little bit. I'm not saying he's going to get bombed by any stretch, but I could see him maybe walking guys. He's probably going to want to throw the baseball 150 miles through the back brick wall or through Wilson Ramos. And I could see that being just a, a little bit of a tough start for Marcus Stroman. Now, he's going up against Steven Strasburg, so it's obviously Strasburg has done very well against the Mets in his career. Saturday, the Mets will throw Noah Centwaits. Noah's a Jake, let me think. I should know this. No, it actually will be Jacob DeGrom. I'm sorry, Noah Centwaits because Jake pitched on Monday. So you're going to have Noah pitch Saturday. He's going up against Patrick Corbin. And Noah's been just lights out. He's been well. And Corbin has been up and down against the Mets. So I could see maybe the Mets winning that game. And then Sunday, I believe it's going to be Joe Ross against Jacob DeGrom. And if it's a rubber match, DeGrom is hopefully going to be DeGrominant. And the Mets, I think, will win two out of three. After that, we'll see. We'll talk all about it on Monday, as well as everything that's happening with the rest of the AL and NL wildcard race, the Yankees, whatever else it may be, what's going on, NFL training camps and the exhibition season in full swing tonight. Not to say we're going to delve into that, but nevertheless, everything that's going on in the world of sports will be heard right here on the next edition of the J-Reels Podcast. Real quick, people, I implore you guys to go ahead and leave a rating, post a review on any of the platforms that you listen to your podcast, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, Luminary, even iHeartRadio. That's right. I'm on iHeartRadio. I just found that out a couple days ago. So please, do all those things. Uh, if you can, even if you just leave me a rating or post a review, say, hey, Jay Reels is crazy, but I want to listen to him every day, let alone every week, whatever it may be. Uh, all that's going to do is just uh, spike up the interest with all the other sports podcasts that are out there. And with that being said, we're uh, looking to generate not only just the interest, but also the public eye to attract more people to this podcast so I can possibly get uh, future guests that I'm working on behind the scenes feverishly. Uh, down the road as I want to expand this podcast not only just once a week but twice a week with at least having one of those podcasts a guest on this program you could check any of my social media accounts J Reels on Instagram J Reels 1 the number on my Twitter account the J Reels podcast on my Facebook page and if you want to send me an email the J Reels podcast at gmail.com is the place to go to do that send me any questions comments criticism praise whatever it may be I'm open to it, even on my DMs, the aforementioned social media accounts, as I deliver everything that's happening in the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the gridiron, the world of the hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, 
The J Rose Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, enjoy this weekend, people. Get out the city field and let's go Mets or LFGM with the hashtag in front of it. And until Monday, everybody, on the flip, baby.